have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast, and if you're listening to it, I guess that makes you one of the friends. Uh, let's see. What's what's going on in the world? Um, uh... I, 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 I genuinely don't know. I'm a little out of the loop. I've been, I've been one of the reasons there hasn't been a podcast for the past month <laughs> is that I, uh, I've been working a bunch building fences. I'm going to talk about that later in the episode, but um, I'm trying to pay off my student loans. So it's just been really, really busy doing all this carpentry work, which, you know, has its own fulfillments. And I guess I'm going to talk about that later in the episode too. So yeah, I'll, we'll put a pin in that for now. Um, and I've also been going through some some personal emotional stuff that at some point I will write about for the podcast, but that's not this episode. So you know, this is just a, a pretty standard episode of Strangely and Friends. Uh, hopefully, more of a positive positive uh, outlook on things. Uh, you know, the, the, oh, we'll talk about this. There is a really bad heat wave here in Bellingham. Um, I, I know for, you know, any of you in Australia or California hearing, uh, 40 degrees Celsius, a hundred degrees Fahrenheit, not that big a deal, but it's never like never on record. Has it gotten that hot in my hometown? Um, it was pretty bad. I, as someone who has experienced many hot days in many places was like, whatever, and kind of kept doing what I was doing. And I ended up getting some, some, um, heat, heat exhaustion. Uh, it knocked me out for about 24 hours. Like I woke up the next morning, I was like throwing up and it was really gross. Um, but there's this stuff that I've literally never taken called Dayquil. Uh, I, I get, this isn't an endorsement. I just, I literally never had it. It's like a painkiller pill that has caffeine in it. And my friends gave me some, I have friends with air conditioning in their house and they let me stay. It was so nice of them. Uh, but yeah, apparently, uh, that stuff is magic. So if I ever feel crappy and have to do a show or something, I'm going to take one of those magic red pills. Oh God, it's a red pill. Not like that. Not like that. Oh no, 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 not like that. Um, if anything for, for me, I'm, I'm like a, what's the gayest color? Maybe a purple pill. Who knows? Like whatever the fruit loopiest color is, fruit loops. I, I there's no pills. I just ate a handful of Fruit Loops. That's a lie too. I have I I uh, can you tell I missed doing this because I've just I've completely lost the plot and I just want to talk to you, my listeners. I you know I I have no idea how many people listen to this podcast. I long ago said to myself that I wouldn't uh, ever look at analytics or anything like that. I know that there's a bunch of you on Patreon and that's super cool. Um, but I don't look at iTunes reviews or anything like that anymore. Cause it's just, I'm, that's not why I do this. Um, yeah, maybe I should, maybe there's like someone on there who's like, Hey, strangely, if you change this one simple trick, uh, you'll get more viewers or something. I don't know. Viewers, listeners, whatever. Anyway, uh, that's about it for current events. Let's, uh, let's start the show. Strangely recommends in 200 words or less, including these 11. 
Who imposed this rule? Chernobyl, History of a Tragedy by Serhei Plochy. This is a difficult read, and yet there is something so deeply compelling in the granular level of detail as the disaster unfolds. It would be easy to dismiss my reading of this as some kind of morbid fascination, and yet there is a quality to it that puts me in mind more of some kind of great novel of centuries past. This is a book full of doomed people, many of whom are actually well aware of their impending destruction. Aware, but not resigned. This book abounds with stories of uncommon heroism against the irascible force of radiation. Imagine a long disaster film like Titanic, except many of the characters have no idea that something is happening to them. Plochi's sparse prose works in the book's favor, conjuring a bleak landscape devoid of hope. And yet, there is so much hope in this book as well. The story ranges far beyond the original disaster, touching on the ways it affected the later course of nuclear power in Ukraine, Belarus, Russia, and beyond. Excellent, horrific history. Not a good beach read. Here's what I've been reading. Beyond Chaos by Jordan Peterson. Ugh. I... <laughs> uh... Yeah, I, I I don't know why I continue to punish myself with this man's work. I think it's because he is so close to being something that I would agree with. I don't know if that makes sense because I, I don't want to imply that I'm like ideologically very close to him because I'm not. But I think it's because many of, of the ideas or sort of types of things he wants to talk about are things that I'm like I can kind of get down with. He comes to some good conclusions through absolutely banana pants, wrong headed avenues. I, I think that makes sense. I'm definitely not a JP apologist in any by any stretch of the, the imagination. Um, my father really likes his books and. So it's you know it's something that my dad and I can talk about and it, I I I genuinely believe that I am better at debating the ideology and uh talking points of Jordan Peterson having read his books where he can explain himself at length. Uh he is decidedly not a good speaker off the cuff uh in something like a debate. He is a horrible public speaker. He does not know how to speak loud. Uh he's one of those people who cannot yell. Uh He's just like uh, Hillary Clinton or um, Donald Trump or uh, 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 Elizabeth Warren. These are people who they make their living being public figures, but they they they, they well they they yell. They don't know how to project their voices. That's what I mean. He, they, they they can't get any volume without just sounding um, like like they're hurting their voice. And whenever I hear someone hitting that point, I'm like, ooh, bud. Bud, you want some fisherman's friends there, bud? Some lemon tea? Maybe, maybe not do that to your voice there, bud. So yeah, I don't know really why I subjected myself to that book, but uh, there is there is absolutely a part uh, in it that summarizes exactly why uh, I just think he's a nonsense person. And I read the whole book so that I could find this one bit to share with you. And so I'm going to do that. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because 
you've you've all doubtless heard that expression give someone enough rope and they'll hang themselves i think that's the expression and i think this paragraph perfectly summarizes why i can't stand him um so yeah i read this book so you don't have to so here is here is my favorite part of the book i once visited the metropolitan museum of art in new york it contained a collection of great and famous renaissance paintings each worth hundreds of millions of dollars assuming they were ever made available for purchase. The area containing them was a shrine, a place of the divine, for believers and atheists alike. It was in the most expensive and prestigious of museums, located on real estate of the highest quality and desirability in what might well be the most active and exciting city in the world. The collection had been put together over a great expanse of time and with much difficulty. The gallery was packed with people, many of whom had voyaged there as part of what must be most properly regarded as a pilgrimage. I asked myself, what are these people up to, coming to this place, so carefully curated, traveling these great distances, looking at these paintings? And what do they believe they are up to? One painting featured the Immaculate Conception of Mary brilliantly composed. The Mother of God was rising to heaven in the beatific state encapsulated in a mandorla of clouds, embedded with the faces of Puri. Many of the people gathered were gazing enraptured at the work. I thought, they do not know what that painting means. They do not understand the symbolic meaning of the mandorla, or the significance of the Puri, or the idea of the glorification of the Mother of God. And God, after all, is dead, or so this goes the story. Why does the painting nonetheless retain its value? Why is it in this room, in this building, with all these other paintings, in this city, carefully guarded, not to be touched? Why is this... I'm sorry, I can't. I can't read anymore. I just can't with this guy. So basically... Basically... What you've got here is you've got Jordan Peterson being like, I went to a fancy museum... And I was the only one who understood the museum, unlike all these other NPCs who don't appreciate art. Like, I, like, look, <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's the thing. You, 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 you. you. You, you, whenever people get afraid of this guy, I will always just think of that. Like, yes, his ideas are dangerous in certain senses, but like, he's so far up his own ass, I'm amazed he can finish writing a book. Anyway, that's what I've been reading. Here's something I've been mulling. This morning, I woke up, and there was nothing on the internet. While that sentence may sound like a dispatch from some kind of a utopian dream, it also perfectly summarizes my experience upon waking today. Over the last six months, I have worked to cull the list of websites I habitually check when I log on to the internet. Doubtless, many of you have your own habitual checkage rituals. You pick up your phone and flick on Instagram, look through it a bit, and then hit the New York Times, followed by Politico, and then a quick stop past your favorite webcomics. Maybe you skim over to YouTube and see what's trending. Perhaps you hate your mental health, and Twitter is the first thing you look at. I, I don't know how you spend your time, and I, I'm not here to judge you. I 
have had periods of really bad internet habits too. Point is, <clears throat> we all have these patterns that we follow when we do anything. Over the past couple of years, I've become ever more vigilant when looking for them in myself. The reason I decided to stop looking at internet pornography? I realized that I'd begun to feel arousal when I looked at certain color swatches as they match the user interface of particular websites. That cannot be healthy. But then again, I just drank an extra large chocolate malt shake from Dairy Queen, so I am by no means an arbiter of health. Today, I built a fence. A friend of mine hired me to tear down a fence on one side of her property. The fence had begun to lean precariously over the sidewalk, causing increasing levels of consternation for pedestrians passing by. I had already torn out the old fence and placed the vertical posts that would support the new one, so today was all about construction, a simple one-after-the-other pattern that I could follow along with. In fact, the pattern had been established by whoever built the original fence, and as we were going to leave large sections of the original fence standing, I only had to follow along with the pattern someone else had laid out for me. The barrier was built on horizontal 2x4-inch pieces of wood affixed to vertical 4-inch-by-4-inch posts 6 feet tall, 5.5-inch uh, wide by 6-foot-tall boards. Uh, we call them pickets. or I, yeah, They're called pickets at the store. Right, you then vertically affix those to the horizontal pieces, and it forms a mostly solid wall. There's some little gaps. It's kind of cute. With this work, it's easy to find a steady rhythm. Lift a picket, make sure it's level and well-spaced, an eighth of an inch from its neighbor, and screw it in. Then repeat. I use three screws to attach each picket to the parallel horizontal pieces, two in the top and one in the bottom. My favorite way to do this is to put one in the upper left corner and then use that as a pivot to tweak the picket. After that, I crouch down and put in the bottom one. Then I stand back up and sink the last screw before I move on to the next picket. The rhythm is a pattern. It takes very little mental energy to put the pickets up, dropping along the gentle slope indicated by my yellow guide rope. Today as I worked, I listened to a recording of Robert McFarlane's superb book, The Old Ways. Part travelogue and part philosophical meditation on walking, the book often strays into the outright transcendental as McFarlane shares his traverses of England, Scotland, Nepal, and Palestine. As I worked, a welcome breeze stirred the already warming air in the, a neighborhood of Bellingham that sometimes is called South Hill. The road beside me ran arrow straight down a precipitous slope ending in a dock in Bellingham Bay. McFarlane's book talks about roads and how often they are built upon pathways, trails made by the feet of people and perhaps before that by animals. The idea that someone wanted to go that way and then more someone's after that Paths, McFarlane writes, are, quote, acts of consensual making. It's hard to create a footpath on your own. So in a sense, I was working beside a pathway that was made not just by many people, but for many people. One is tempted to tie in a collectivist-leaning reference to former President Obama's you didn't build that road speech, but I will leave the parallels in your own minds, dear listeners. A pathway created by and for many people used for numerous purposes. But what about the pathways within our own minds, the habitual trackway that leads from Reddit to 3chan to YouTube to Beautiful Agony to Farkle to Angry Turtle? I think I've made some of those up, but honestly, they probably all exist. Who made that path? 
Why do we follow it, and whose purposes is it serving? This is the sort of thinking that drove me to begin to question my own pathways through the internet, to see the channels my digital feet had laid down in the earth of my mind and begin to consider ways to realign them. So this is like a side note because I wrote this yesterday, but I realized as I was editing the essay that I didn't really explain this part well, and I decided I would just, I, there's a little note here that's just like ramble something. Um, essentially, I just got myself into a habit <clears throat> of checking less and less websites every day. And so it's to the point where there are like five websites that I, I look at when I sit down to surf the web and three of them are web comics. So if there's not a new comic of the comic, then there's nothing there. And one of them is my email. So if I don't have any new email and there's no new web comics and, and, and there's no stories I want to read on the news ticker site, then there's nothing on the internet. Um, so that's what happened. Anyway, um, back to the script, please understand. I have no set answers here. Uh, this is not a prescription. This is not a recommendation. I cannot even say in any kind of honesty that I've learned anything yet, but at the same time, this felt like a moment I wanted to share at least this small piece of the ever-shifting map of my own mind. This has been a difficult month for me. To even begin to share all of the reasons would require more time than you have and more vocal stamina than I possess. Possess? Possess. Suffice to say that I have been incredibly busy and that has not given me the amount of time I wish I had for the self-care I need to face the challenges arrayed before me. To be sure, my business is of my own devising. Business, not business. Busyness. I can't believe I uh, I read that wrong. Let's uh let's uh let's take that again. Uh, <clears throat> to be sure, my busyness is of my own devising. I'm in the midst of a madcap play to pay off my student loans before I resume my travels at the end of the summer. As gigs are a bit thin on the ground at present, I have resorted to carpentry a skill I am not altogether incompetent at, and, if I am being honest, quite enjoy. My pruning of internet time has gone into high gear over the last couple of months as I have spent ever more time with tools in my hands and sawdust in my beard. It's hard to find much interest in the ephemeral caprices of the social media landscape when one has tape measures and bubble levels on the brain. There's something so comforting in knowing that I can measure and cut a piece of wood to be exactly five feet, six and five thirty seconds inches long. Indeed, even more comfort in knowing that just about anybody, regardless of religion, political affiliation, favorite ice cream or Hogwarts house, could get out their own measuring tape and verify that it is indeed five feet, six and five thirty seconds inches long. Unless they're into metric, in which case it would be 168.036875 centimeters. In a world full of increasingly divergent viewpoints, it's nice to know there are some things that we might still be able to agree on. In light of that, why on earth would I want to hear about whatever is going on in the internet? I can already hear some of the criticism of this piece, that it's my privilege to not look at Twitter, or that it must be nice to have the luxury of not having to engage with Facebook or something. And maybe those are just my own misgivings or the whimsical arguments of Arthur P. Strawman. Do you know Arthur P. Strawman? He's, uh, he's of the uh, Cincinnati Strawman. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I hate all of his work. Arthur P. Strawman is just, he's, a, he's, a, he's horseshit. Uh, anyway, that may be true. 
But then again, maybe not. I can't really make that call. I can say that based upon my personal experience, the more time I spend with things that physically exist in my hands, the easier it is for me to find ways to be happy. No, I did not say the easier it is to be happy. Being happy is difficult. And for me, it's an ongoing conversation with myself involving dozens of factors. Things like blood sugar level, hydration, alcohol intake, and the speed with which I can beat a given boss in whatever Soulsborne game I'm playing this week. I I know it sounds like I'm making light of it, but it's it's all the constant factors. It's It's the moments where I can realize that the thing that's getting me down is something small that I can't ignore, or realizing that it's something big that I need to process. It's a conversation. I'm sure the most surprising thing in that last paragraph is that I really like to play video games. I know a lot of people find that weird about me. I might need to write about that at some point. Huh. That conversation with myself becomes easier the less I allow outside voices to take up more space than they should in my mind. I'm not advocating myself as some kind of mental hermit. I'm, on the contrary, I'm reading all the time. In the words of Disney's animated classic Beauty and the Beast, books, gads of books, mountains of books, forests of books, cascades, swamps of books. If I have to be doing something with my hands, like building a fence, I will either get my filthy nitrile-gloved hands on an audiobook, or I will feed a text file to a program on my mobile that converts it into passable machine speech. This is a sample of the speed that Strangely enjoys listening to machine-read text files. Please don't tell any of Strangely's professors. They just think Strangely is a fast reader. This is Strangely's secret of being a super deluxe, double-plus good student boy. Something I have become to appreciate as more and more of my time becomes centered on books is how it has affected my attention span. Rather than the 280 and 2200 character limits of Twitter and Instagram respectively, or the single photo posts of same, I find myself craving depth and nuance. It's hard to find depth and nuance in a short blip of content delivered via, say, TikTok. Which is not to say I haven't enjoyed the lovely Captain Super Dirt, or whatever that human is called that sticks dirts on everything, and other fun TikToks that have been shared with me. I mean, I used to love Vine, so it's not like I think short form has no place. I just think it's the enemy of nuance. I remember seeing a video essay on YouTube remarking that Zack Snyder is a filmmaker who works with moments rather than scenes. A moment is something like the instant a superhero lands and looks super cool, or Indiana Jones grabs his hat just before it gets crushed, or the little thumbs up Max gives to Capable in Fury Road. They're big and exciting because they have been built up to, and for that you need scenes, dialogue and so on, which build up the characters and allow their inner lives to develop so that the moment, the big pose, when somebody finally goes Super Saiyan and becomes Fire Muckety Tam walking or whatever, is something that has been built up to. You need scenes. My nose is so itchy. You need scenes to build up moments. You can just string a bunch of moments together and say it's a film, but it's not coherent. See 2016's Suicide Squad for an especially pertinent example of this. That was a film that was so poorly received on test screenings that the producers actually gave it to a movie trailer editing studio to re-edit. The end result feels like a two-hour-long trailer, a bunch of cool-ish moments that add up to nothing in the final end product. See also the worst thing I ever paid money to see, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Saga Dies. 
Put another way, a scene is something that develops, and a moment is a mic drop. Interestingly, it seems like people want the feeling of a mic drop without any regard to the nuance required to earn that moment. The amount of times I have seen a social media post that sounds like a mic drop end up getting followed by dozens of qualifying statements and apologies as criticism pours in. Go for the mic drop if you want, but be aware that you might have to bend down and pick that precious little foam-shrouded audio sensor up to keep talking more. That's a big part of why this podcast exists. Whenever I sit down and start to write about anything that matters to me, I find whatever I write ballooning to essay length. Sure, that might just be because I am a verbose kid with an affinity for expensive $18 words like Brobdingnagnian, but it also happens because I want to peel subjects apart and spend time teasing out unexpected connections. Sometimes these attempts at finding connections go nowhere. I'm sorry to report that I have found no interesting material tying Alanis Morissette's vocal stylings to 17th century Russian economic reforms. But other times, looking for connections has been rewarding. When I read a book full of dubious chest-thumping advice by a self-aggrandizing public intellectual like Jordan Peterson, it is easy to scoff at his nonsense and opine that his program for improving my day-to-day life is pig-headedly wrong as only a deeply religious man trying to pretend he is cool post-religious dude can be. But it is quite a different matter entirely for me to lay out what I think is a better way to go about things. Although this is an exercise I enjoy, see my previous essay on doing things wrong the first time around so you can correct them on the second draft. Why not go find bad advice and then tweak it to make it better? Instead of always seeking the perfect advice from someone who actually understands you, go find something close and maybe just, or maybe dead wrong, and then start building from that. Peterson suggested I clean up my room, something I have to be honest, I do more since I read him saying that in one of his books. But at the end of cleaning my room, I stop. I pick up something and deliberately leave it out of place. Because not everything has a place. And Jordan is not the arbiter of clean. Maybe I should call him JP. Jordy, son of Peter. What? I'm sick of talking about whiny, angry man from Canada. Where was I? Patterns. I have strayed far from my initial goal with this piece, but it's easy to do that when you're writing one word after the other, just like it is when you're screwing in pickets. After a fashion, I think these essays have replaced my web surfing. This is the place I come to let my mind wander through its various modes of thinking, exploring the landscapes of inputs that have built wee cottages in the Cotswolds of my gray matter. Passing by the dilapidated paddleboat Melville, I see Leonard Cohen, that lazy bastard living in a suit, tip his hat to Virginia Woolf as the sailboat dove makes her way past Tanya Abe's Varuna. The pattern does not have to be the end. In fact, it can be a ladder we climb to a new one. I'm not building fences for the people of Whatcom County because I wish to be a fence builder. I'm building fences because I want to pay off my student loans so that I can continue to be a writer. Someone who makes up songs and stories. I didn't reduce my internet consumption because I wanted to write smug think pieces about how I went on a digital detox. I did it so I could have more time revisiting my old friends in Redwall Abbey, joyously discovering how much they still have to teach me. That's next week's episode. I saw patterns and I decided to change them. 
patterns of debt, patterns of internet usage, patterns of happiness. If this essay has a point, it's this. If you can see the pattern, you can decide to change it. You could wake up one morning and find that there is nothing on the internet. Or perhaps you see the pattern, as I did with my friend's fence, and the best course is to continue to follow the pattern, placing one board after the other. But then again, there are tribes of reindeer herders in Siberia, the Khanti, Mansi, Shukchi, etc., who build fences by bending natural willow saplings and other ground plants into the needed shape. They can build 50 feet of fence in an hour doing this, which is way faster than I build fences. And they're constantly working a pattern out of the natural woods, a place with no pattern at all. I wonder if they have Instagram. <laughs> Fenstagram. I need more coffee. Song of the Week, Darkened Room. This is a song I wrote for a cabaret show that I'm writing with a friend of mine, uh, an actress from L.A., that we're going to be touring whenever touring starts happening again. And uh, it's sort of about this idea that uh, the, the, the chorus kind of touches on this idea that, you know, there's patterns and, and maybe you can affect the pattern if you pay attention to it. So uh, it's just something that I can't remember if I've shared many places before because I kind of wrote it for the show that hasn't happened yet. Here's Darkened Room. <laughs> All 
world is a tapestry of hustlers within the weed. Tapestry is what a million strings. Look close and you will perceive. Look close and you will perceive. Well, that about does it for this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me that when I'm having a dark time, I know that eventually I'll get to come back and share some thoughts and and interact with you folks through this podcast. This is really my favorite artistic thing that I'm doing right now. I, I mean, I love writing songs and all that, but I could put the songs in this. So this is sort of like the big tent, strangely creative thing. And I, I, I hope that it's, it's sort of more personal nature over the last year has, has been fun for you folks. Uh, if you have thoughts or comments about the podcast, please send them to me. You can send them to strangely 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225. I look forward to hearing from you. And, uh, oh, uh, housekeeping, um, Strangely Friends, the podcast is brought to you entirely by my supporters on Patreon. I, I don't do ads on this show. I hope I never have to. I don't want to sell cats for mattresses or talk about lamps.com or whatever. Although, honestly, if I had to do ad reads for like a bidet company, I'd probably do that just because I love bidets. And if I did ads for a bidet company, they'd probably send me a free bidet. And I would love to, like, if you're from a bidet company, send me a bidet. Uh, but until then, the podcast is entirely supported by everyone on Patreon, including my newest patron. I'd like to welcome, and uh, this is the, the patron's name apparently, Oscar Effen Wild, which is just such a great name. So Oscar Effen Wild, welcome to the podcast, and special thanks to my executive producer patrons, Tina Jones, and oh no, I've totally forgot, no, I've got it written here, I've got Kim Truett. I'm so sorry, Kim. I, I hadn't scrolled my thing, and I was like, I'm going to do this all from memory because I'm a idiot. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you can check out patreon.com slash strangely to hear me say your name or forget your name or whatever. And, uh, yeah, uh, I also, just, as a, um, just for patron supporters, I post my scripts for these episodes, and you can see what changes and what doesn't. Oh, I need to have a quote. Okay. Here's a quote. This is from a book I'm reading right now called Hidden Agenda by uh, Roberto Giobbi. And uh, this is a quote from Oscar Wilde, funnily enough. Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. And on that note, I'll leave you all. Have a great week. Bye. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production.